0: This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week,
1: Project UFO, Season 1, Episodes 7 and 8. Sir, is it possible that we might be the first to find out what we've all been looking for? positive physical evidence
0: you want to know the truth yes sir i don't know
1: welcome to continuing drag the podcast that knows better than to believe some no good teens i'm luke here with my co-host jordan what's real
0: jordan Time to take out Atmos at the interplanetary inter ah, I've messed it up interplanetary exchange. Hold on. Time to take out Atmos at the interplanetary exchange. There you go. You
1: still can't say.
0: Time to take out Atmos at the interplanetary exchange. <laughs> Better every time. <laughs> I think I would have,
1: I would have said interplanetary, but yeah. What did I say? Interplanetary. What did I, I, I say? Thought you saying, I thought you were saying that you're saying
0: interplanetary. Uh, inter interplanetary. No time to take out Atmos, which is as we'll find out in alien alien currency at the interplanetary exchange which is like just an exchange bank in you know, on like mars or something. Maybe it's maybe it's the zoom
1: that's giving me to me but it, you sound like a venetian when you try to say it. Oh, like one of those people? Interplanetary. <laughs> well, Jordan, we're back with more Project UFO. We're back, we're excited. I'm excited. Before... I got a
0: tea in my hand. And I
1: thought <laughs> I thought before we got started. We would yeah. talk a little bit about the people who created Project UFO. Exciting.
0: Have you looked into them at all? Not really. Well, I originally when we first started, um, I looked up the showrunner and was like, I don't think I've recognized anything that he's made.
1: Well, it was created by Jack Webb and Harold Jack Bloom. Mm-hmm. And Jack Webb is someone you, I, I thought you might know, because this feels like a show that you would have watched uh, as a child. But he was the star and creator of the influential police procedural Dragnet.
0: Oh, Dragnet. You know, I, I never actually did watch Dragnet, only because I think it wasn't really in uh, in like a really active um, a syndication when I was a kid. But I know of Dragnet.
1: Well, he apparently was quite the prolific creator. He had quite a few shows that he created and like worked on via his company post-Dragnet. And this actually was the second last one he would do before his death into the early 80s.
0: What else did he do? I don't have any of that here. Dragnet's the only one that matters. Dragnet's the big one. I mean you already got Dragnet and you have Planet uh Planet. Project UFO. He also did Planet UFO. <laughs> I think I think
1: there was a show called The DA. There's a lot of cop shows basically. And right. a few medical ones. I think the one was called Emergency Exclamation Mark.
0: I like that. I like the
1: exclamation mark. Um, and the co-creator, Harold Jack Bloom, was you know, a real classic TV journeyman writer, did, all, did a lot of TV writing. Seemed to have worked with Jack Webb's company a lot, actually. They seemed to have done a bunch of shows together. So I think they were probably pretty tight uh, business-wise. Mm. Um, but one thing of note, though, is he was nominated for an Oscar for the screenplay for the 1953 film The Naked Spur. Well, obviously a uh, uh, Western.
0: I'm not familiar with it, though.
1: Oh, it's. I think you might enjoy it. I looked at it and it looked like it would be right up your alley. Who stars in it? Gregory Peck. I don't know. I think it is Gregory Peck. Oh, would I
0: be? What a guess if that was true.
1: Honestly, I was trying to. I was trying to think of the name, and I was like, "Who was it? It was someone big." But no, I'm it's probably.
0: Um, it's probably was his face. Uh, 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 uh James. Uh, my brain is. My brain's freezing.
1: Jordan. It was uh, Jimmy Stewart and Janet Leigh.
0: Jimmy Stewart. That that
1: that'd be my second guess yeah that's who i thought originally it was but i couldn't remember his name yeah jimmy stewart
0: he did a lot of westerns yeah
1: i mean it seems like that must be a nominated for an oscar must be a pretty
0: good movie well not must be but i probably bet you it was all right probably better better than most of that year yeah better than most (laughs) yeah anyway
1: uh some other notable writers and directors that were on the show i just went through sort of the list mm. of people who had worked on the show and wasn't it wasn't a lot of notability obviously but uh, there's a few people here um some of them just to us like dennis donnelly who directed an episode of super train oh. a very formal heist look there oh a very formal heist yeah yeah we didn't watch that one but if someone wants to do any charity we will i bet it had uh someone from mash in it oh almost definitely i think that might be the one yeah. that maybe clingers in Oh, nice! Yeah, let's watch that. Just, just put give fifty bucks to one of the charities, everybody, <laughs> and we get to watch Klinger on a train. There's Sigmund Newfield Jr. who directed two episodes of Galactica 1980.
0: Okay, yeah, I do like that. That these all shows sort of like just start blending to each other. You know, it's like the same people just work on all these shows. Yeah, he did uh, the night the Cylon landed. Oh, is that the with, near the end? Yeah, yeah, the or is one, that the one where they go to the party with the meatballs? That was the one of the meatball party. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And, of course, Super Scouts Part 2. Oh, of course. <laughs> who could forget?
1: Um, there was a writer named George F. Slavin who uh, he directed an or he wrote an original Star
0: Trek episode, The Mark of Gideon. Mm, I don't remember which one that was. Me neither. <laughs> yeah, my original Star Trek knowledge isn't what it once was.
1: Uh, well, what about this guy, Larry Alexander, who wrote the Super Train episode, Superstar? <laughs>
0: was that the one with the the woman who was actually a princess and the guy fell in love with her? Is that that one? No, it was the one about the producer who had the mob after him because he owed the money, so he
1: had to go talk to his uh, ex-wife to star in his movie. Oh, <laughs> that show wasn't very good. <laughs> and the last notable writer was Robert C. Dennis, who wrote four episodes of the 60s Batman show oh that
0: must have really hurt <laughs> you think it hurt well you gotta come up with those puns and things all the time This seems like it'd be a treat yeah maybe yeah you i would have think... worked on batman you could think of some bad gadgets couldn't you yeah of course why not i mean once they went like shark repellent you can do anything <laughs> you can only think
1: of gritty batman ideas that's right all right well that's it that's all the little
0: tidbits i have on the creators of the show you know what? It sets the stage. Everyone's feeling it. They're dimming their lights. You know? Turning the volume up. And it's time to talk about Episode 7. Sighting of okay. the Forest City Incident.
1: Here's the interview summary for Season 1, Episode 7. Sighting 4007. The Forest City Incident. Sighting
0: 4007? Yeah, they all have to start with sightings. Oh, yeah. I just said all mine said was sighting the Forest City Incident. I realized there was numbers in there, too. This is the 4000th sighting they've seen? Four thousand and seventh. in seventh. Wow. If for some reason, the
1: series starts at uh, number 4,000 and just keeps going up incrementally from there. <laughs> they, they were just
0: getting their legs the first 4,000.
1: They'll be a prequel cool with those original 4,000. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a summary, Jordan. A group of teenagers believe they saw a UFO
0: while well, they are parking in the wilderness. Yeah, okay. That tells you almost nothing, but it tells you what the opening scene is yeah i mean as per
1: usual we get a cold open couple ufo encounters one mm. is uh that a guy has another classic fire in the sky encounter where a bright light flies over his car and it shakes it
0: yeah and he's sort of like he sort of has that uh, like jurassic parks his coffee a little bit and it makes a lot of noise though not the coffee the uh the ufo seems to make a lot of noise
1: yeah they're noisy these ufos are pretty noisy yeah agreed and the other encounter is with some teens who have gone to makeout point and uh, happen to see a UFO landing. Um, I believe they describe it as an upside down teacup and saucer.
0: Mm-hmm. Now let me ask you this: They're going all to like make out, but there's two different couples. Have you ever been in a car with another couple to go make out? Yeah,
1: yeah. You don't have your own car, so you got to go
0: make out in the backseat of your friend's car. Yeah, I've never had that. Still time. Still time. I guess there's. I guess that's true. There's still time. I think I'd rather just be in my own car. <laughs> I need the room, you know. Fair enough. Just stretch out.
1: You want to stretch out?
0: Yeah. <laughs> to stretch. Yeah. Well, you gotta. You need arm movement, you know. <laughs> um, hey, here are a couple of things I want to say. One, I love that the teens all look like they're about thirty-five years old, and I they probably actually are around teenager age. It's just because we're looking back in the seventies, and everyone just looks older. Um, but in the next scene, we're gonna have our two uh, leads. Uh, what are their names? It's uh, Jake and Harry. Uh, they're going to show up to sort of at an air force to, to start this investigation. And it has my favorite line in this because it's so unnecessary. I know why later, why that's in there, but they basically show up and they meet this guy who's like running the base or the representative of the base. And he's like, Hey, hey guys. And they're like, hi. And he's like, Hey, do you want to go to lunch? And they're like, it's much too early for lunch. And then, and then they're like, they go on, and I just couldn't stop laughing at how dumb it was that they had to even mention this because it had no point. But I realized later on it's because they're going to have lunch with the kids, and it felt like it was a thing where, like, if we don't mention at the beginning that they don't want lunch with this guy because it's too early, people are not going to understand why they're having lunch later. But it just seemed like such a nonsense line, and I, I really enjoyed it. So that's, <laughs> that's one point, one point for the episode.
1: You're already off to a good start here. Yeah. yes uh project blue book arrives on the scene here and uh i found this town to be very funny literally every single adult in the town hates teens they think they're liars they think they're always pulling pranks all day long (laughs) teens you know they're troublemakers i had one question the principal mentions a prank in which the students somehow disassembled and reassembled the principal's car in the second floor like laboratory
0: how does that work uh, well, I mean, that's a, that's a classic prank. Pe- people have done it. I remember people did it at my high school too take apart a car and reassemble it. How, how could you do that? I don't understand. If you know enough about automotive and stuff and how to take apart and you have the tools like we had our school, we had like an automotive part, so they probably had all the proper tools. So you took out some of the major bolts enough that you could, you know, carry the main parts back and then just put back on all the doors and everything.
1: Man, it was crazy back in fifties high school, huh? <laughs>
0: Hey, yeah, yeah. I had my big, like, uh, uh, Letterman jacket on, you know? Yeah, your hair was all swooped back. Uh, obviously. A punk. I was a punk kid you couldn't trust.
1: <laughs> and uh, back to the show, everybody. <laughs> we'll get through it. Project Blue Book cover, you know, all the adults are like, they're lying, clearly, they're teens. And,. they're just like well we're impartial investigators we're gonna find out what's really happening and they they get the teens they get like a whole flashback explaining what happened which we won't get back into It's just ufo landed blah blah blah.
0: yeah it's like it's like they see the ufo the guys go off themselves to see a little bit more um they see the ufo they sort of like make a little bit of noise the ufo like flashes a light on them and that's basically and then it like flies away that's basically all that they see
1: yeah yeah and then Project Blue Book takes them back to find evidence at the landing site, and they use the uh, my favorite gadget in this, the uh, pentrometer. They whip out the pentrometer, Jordan. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Metrometer. Which apparently they just like push into the ground, and it tells them uh, how heavy an object was that made a dent in the ground.
0: You know what? I like those things. They're a real time saver, so why not? Sure. Pentrometer. Yeah. The uh, UFO weighed 26,000 pounds, Jordan. Yeah, it was a lot. They also find
1: primitive glass underneath a spot where the uh heat from the UFO may have been blasting
0: down on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the theory being that uh the heat was at such a high temperature that it made the sand below into glass. That was a theory, right?
1: Yes, that's right. And then uh yeah. old Harry Fitz our down south sergeant, staff sergeant, he's like, "And look at this Gatlin, Captain Gatlin. There's a stick
0: <laughs> on the ground from a sassafras It
1: broke in half perfectly." <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like the sassafras tree. They're like, uh, they're like everyone knows that. It's hard to like break them cleanly. They'd bend, I suppose. And I, it was one of those weird things. I was like, this seems very specific—a bit of knowledge for people that these branches wouldn't normally snap uh, uh cleanly. You know.
1: My favorite part is about halfway through the episode. uh They get some reports back to the lab, and and Harry or Harry Fitz is like, "Oh no, I was wrong. It was a pecan tree." <laughs> I don't even remember that. Yeah, yeah, he was so upset. It was actually a pecan tree. I'm like, what does this matter?
0: <laughs> he didn't want to blow it. He did. He, you know why? Because he was he was bragging about all his tree knowledge, and then he would he was shown his comeuppance. You know,
1: a local reporter also drops by to bring them photos of a UFO that a local man has uh, brought to the newspaper, hoping that they'll purchase and send it on the wire, and. Mm-hmm. Um, They obviously want to go talk to this man so they they head out there and um the photographer's suspicious about the government and like kind of wondering why they want his photos and he's worried they're going to like suppress the evidence um but with very little you know
0: talking into he does hand over all the negatives to (laughs) project blue book Mm -hmm. oh and should we say now i don't know if it it really matters but throughout the whole episode they keep cutting to these two guys and i wrote i wrote hobos and it ends up they kind of are sort of like I don't. You can't say hobos. I guess like uh, uh, they they sort of squat in different places in like the park and stuff. These two older guys and you just keep seeing them in the background, sort of like looking. I think sort of mysterious. Like like you know they're important in some way. They're so always sharing glances in the deep background, being like, oh. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of them looking and they're looking at each other, being like, we know something. I'm like, all right, get to it. They won't. They won't. They won't to the very end.
1: Um, but this photographer obviously. Is like I can prove the story these teens had because I took these photos of the UFO on the night. And uh, we'll skip forward a few scenes to conclude his story. But like they send them off to the lab, and then like midway through the show, they end up coming back to this photographer with a report on the photos they got from their lab. And um, they're like, "Well, we use some special military technology to lighten the contrast on your photos." (laughs) Like, okay, yeah, yeah. And what they find is the man actually hung a jar lid from a string outside of his home and just took photos of the jar lid to fake a UFO in the sky. And he's the man who was like menaced at the beginning, shook in his truck. But I guess what we're supposed to know is like
0: all of his storyline has been a lie. Yeah, it's well, I don't even think it's that. I I thought, and maybe we, we saw it differently. I thought it's that he saw something, didn't get the evidence. So he faked his own evidence because to prove to prove what he had seen. But I didn't understand. He seemed to like, arrogant is maybe not the word he was like somewhat aggressive when they were like we want to see your photos and stuff you you take my photos and then like we want the negatives he's like yeah you could take those too and there wasn't really that much of a hesitation like he must have known they'd find these doctored photos right i don't know it was
1: all very strange and i wasn't sure yeah i wasn't sure whether to believe all his story or none of it i didn't know if we were supposed to be going with it and even when project blue book presses him they're like well why did you do it why did you fake these photos and he like goes. He gives his monologue about he did it because he loves kids.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's like, I just like love kids, and like no one trusts kids, and so like I I wanted to like prove it for them or something. I was like, what? That's his motivation.
1: Yeah, I know it was wild. I'm like, this town hates kids
0: except for me. I love them. I love them so much. I have fake evidence. Yeah. So no, let me ask you this real quick before we get back to the plot. I don't know if this is this is a slightly different. Total shift is maybe not the way to say it. But the structure of the episodes seem to be at this point in the show. You see a UFO as the viewer. You believe people because you're seeing the exact evidence they're seeing. Then the episode sort of like breaks it down to sort of prove that the UFOs maybe didn't happen. But we never actually see evidence of it not happening. We see evidence that sort of um, at least... Uh, give some sort of, uh, adds evidence that maybe it didn't happen. Um, And then usually the episode's like, well, it's inconclusive. And is that simply because they're trying to like, toe the line of like, well, these official Project Blue Book episodes never, uh, Project Blue Book sort of sightings never really found anything. And so they don't want to ever like, say yes, these UFOs happened Because it seems like a weird thing. Like, it's the opposite of what you think. You think something was happened, They prove it did happen. And then, through a series of events, they can't, you know, like that sort of X-Files thing. It gets, like, filed away, but they – because it's some sort of secret, you know, government thing, we can't get that that truth. But this is more like they're proving it never happened, even though we see it did happen. Does that make sense? It's a long way of saying that.
1: Yeah, I think – I think the premise of the show is that you're either going to end up on a – they're never going to prove alien life because that's not what happened with Project Blue Book. But you'll either get an unknown, or as they call it, a
0: true unknown, or Mm -hmm. you'll – prove someone was a liar or crazy or something right but it's weird because even in this if someone like this guy this photographer we see him seeing a ufo but then we see that he faked evidence so you're like well what 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 am i what am i seeing here
1: i think you're supposed to think that that earlier thing is just the lies he told later mm. okay okay Whereas the teens it- maybe have a true encounter
0: Right. But you can't tell as a viewer the difference because there's nothing to separate those two uh, flashbacks.
1: That's true. Other. Yeah. All you get is that, you know, this man faked it and eventually says he faked all his photos. And so I guess maybe you're supposed to assume he's a liar. Always a liar. Right.
0: All right. Well, there we are.
1: Anyway, Jordan, back to the lying teens. Yeah. (laughs) The mayor is putting a lot of pressure on the local police department to make some arrests, some teenage arrests. I didn't understand this at all. Like, we're going to go to, like, court and stuff. Yeah, the, the mayor wants someone punished for all these teen pranks. And we, like, hard cut to these teens getting, like, read the riot act by a judge and getting handed down a sentence for their, like, lying about seeing a UFO, which I believe their sentence was four weeks of cleanup work and a $15 fine.
0: Yeah, and that was funny because the uh, uh, oddness aside of them going to court for let's let's be clear they haven't done a prank all they've done is said they saw something that's not a prank and that hasn't hurt anybody or put anyone out in any way other than literally the few minutes it took to listen to their story so how you can get fined even something as little as 15 dollars is beyond me in this sort of like uh, uh a footloose town they live in here well but, i mean uh, there's
1: not even lawyers they don't even have lawyers It's a real kangaroo court these teens have
0: yeah. wandered into <laughs> <laughs> it's the same sort of court like last episode where the father-in-law just comes in in the jury and just makes a big speech. It's the same sort of court, um. But yeah, so it, it's funny because the fine is also so low. Like even in 1979 dollars, fifteen dollars is not that much. So, um. But I like that. So basically, they get like read the riot act. They're like, "Uh, you guys are really wasting everyone's time. We're tired of you, teens." And then one of the guys, I guess, is it Jake Gatlin? Uh, Major yeah, Gatlin? Jake yeah, Gatlin. Jake. Gatlin? He comes up and he's basically like, "Let me make a statement. I want to. I want to. Let me kind of just prove that they've done anything wrong. Give me forty-eight hours. Give me forty-eight, 48 hours, and I'll and I'll prove something." And the judge is like, "Y'all yeah, allow it? <laughs> sure, why not?" Yeah, he's like, "This is not a real court, anyway. So yeah, forty-eight hours. Sure."
1: I like that he gets that forty-eight hours, and as uh, the Project Blue Book boys like leave the courtroom. The local high school science club stops them and says, hey, can we volunteer to help you investigate the these sightings? And they're like, what? No, you're teenagers. What are you talking about? And they're like, oh,
0: okay. I'm like, I was like also like, what is happening? I just love, I love those scenes. And I don't know if it's just because they need it to be a certain, um, certain length of the episode. But it's the same thing with like the lunch conversation. I'm like, why is this in the show? They want to show that the teens
1: believe the other teens. And the teens believe them, yeah. Anyway, a few scenes go by where, like, the reports in the lab start rolling in about their earlier stuff, and most of the evidence they got is pretty inconclusive. I think one point they're just like, "We found out there used to be a glass factory
0: on that spot, so maybe that's why there was glass on the ground." <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, they. Yeah, it's like they they basically go through, and it's not so much that they they prove it's a hoax, but they give enough. Um, they sort of find enough evidence to to make things ambiguous.
1: Yeah, and to your point, after like going through all the evidence and finding out that it's like we can't prove anything really happened because there's enough evidence that disproves UFOs, they do finally give a presentation at the school to exonerate <laughs> the teens. And their exoneration is is like, well, we can prove they didn't fake it, but we can't prove anything really happened. So I guess we're filing this under unknown by everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's this thing the show does that I don't know another way around it, but there's something very unsatisfying how these shows are structured and i find always by the end of the episode i as a viewer and maybe it's looking at it with a modern um modern eyes i'm always just like well that was a huge waste of my time i think what would
1: make a difference potentially is they should have some episodes where they catch some fakers like that's the episode they like prove someone is lying what one
0: or the other there should be some sort of something should, should be conclusive even if the rest of the people don't know they're basically like we see aliens we've had contact but no one believes them or you're right they go through something that seems uh airtight and they sort of you know systematically break it apart and see that it was a hoax those are both interesting episodes but they keep landing somewhere in the middle where you see stuff and they go yeah remember what you saw that didn't really happen or did it anyways stay tuned for manix you know? I mean,
1: I think, yeah, I think the unknowns would work better if you had, like, more proof of, like, other episodes where you they proved it was wrong.
0: Yeah, but I should say, this episode's not done because we finally go to the hobos.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, as Project Blue Book, Blue Book pulls out of town, those old guys who've been lurking in the background,
0: they finally zoom in on them, and they just have a conversation and a flashback, these two randos. Yeah, they're like, well, they're gone, finally. And they basically, it, what it was, was they saw exactly what the teens did. They were there, camped out. Um Uh, They even imply, and uh, let me know if I'm wrong, Luke. One of them uh, throws like a beer bottle and it breaks on the rocks. And I think they're implying that the glass they found is the hobo's glass. I believe that is true. And so I was like, they couldn't tell the difference in um, glass that had been formed by heat in sand and a broken beer bottle. Is that what I'm supposed to believe? <laughs> that's 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 less likely than than aliens.
1: Well, you have to also understand that when Project Blue Book originally toured the site of the landing, at some point they look over and they see a campsite in the exact spot and they're like,
0: "Huh, a campsite." Well, let's not look any further into that. <laughs> I did I don't even remember that. It's just such a weird button to put on this episode to be like, "Hey, I know it's inconclusive." By the way, they did see everything. Anyway, well, I mean, as they say, they're
1: self-described quote-unquote rummies, and they're like, who'd ever believe us and quote,
0: what's to gain? Yeah. And then and that's it. And that's it. That's the episode. <laughs> it's very weird. It's a, it's an odd structure to a show. It's hard to articulate how um it's you would think it would be almost more um procedural but the show's really not like it's not so much an investigation they talk to people and stuff but you don't see them doing any hard investigating other than having a few conversations that sort of illuminate things but never illuminate anything into a concrete solution or answer to stuff so it's just such a bizarre way to spend to watch these guys like they might as well just be out like having chats
1: have you ever watched unsolved mysteries jordan
0: yeah i have I feel the
1: same way about that show, in that like I'll watch an entire episode of it, and at the end of it, they're like, "And we
0: never solved it," and I was just like, "Why did I watch this again?" Yeah, there is there is a similar sort of feeling. You're right. Of this, um, we're going to tell you about something. It's really interesting. There's no ending. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's no ending. Um, Which brings us to episode eight. What did you say? This is called. I have the Desert Springs incident, and it's it's what uh, investigative investigation what.
1: This is the end. Summary for episode. 8
0: season 1 episode
1: 8 yeah. citing 4008 the desert spring incident
0: 4008 yeah we're two episodes in a row episode 7 and 8 we're still in, in order there are a couple of questions we'd like to ask you we were curious about the propulsion system of your vehicle interstellar ramjet how long would the trip take about four months earth time really well if you're using a ramjet propulsion system you'd be able to travel it near the speed of light wouldn't you The trip should take less than two days. We must leave now. Remember, we warned you about maintaining total secrecy.
1: Major Gatlin and and Staff Sergeant Fitz encounter a woman who was visited by two men from Venus who say they can reunite her with her long-lost husband for $40,000. Later, they investigate a more credible sighting in the mountains of California.
0: That's right. Now, uh, we're going to go through this obviously piece by piece but i have to ask you something and maybe i've missed this because on these shows when they start getting a little draggy my attention starts starts waning we're going to meet let's say there there aliens we're going to meet aliens at this point let's just for the for the for the sake of of this conversation do does this show ever explain who these dudes are and why they are doing this yeah didn't they i don't think they did
1: <laughs> well we'll get into it
0: The last scene was them being like, but that's it.
1: Uh, Well, we start off with two UFO encounters per usual in the cold open.
0: Yeah. Woman and walking her dog. Yeah. An older woman walking her dogs at night. A big cigar shaped UFO comes down. I wrote the exact same thing. It looked just like a cigar. And I've said this before. I do really like that every single episode of this show, uh, the people and the art team uh, working on this went to the trouble of designing a very different looking UFO. I'm assuming because these are based on real cases, they've uh, the the person who has seen these things has described it in a different way. So instead of doing your classic um, flying saucer, every episode they look a little different. I, I I like that. It makes for it just there's something a little more interesting about it.
1: Yeah, and the cigar comes down and it boils the lake she's walking
0: by. That's right, and it they don't explain why. I don't know if it was supposed to be sucking in water or it's just doing some sort of experiment. But yeah, like flies down and like started goes into the water and boils it
1: it shoots a little laser down that looks like a straw and then it seems to suck the water up for a second and starts blowing it back in and making bubbles for fun yeah why not (laughs) aliens Uh, and then the other encounter in the cold open is a yofo encounter at a bar on the top of the matterhorn
0: and it's like a ski lodge right at first i thought it was kind of a bar but it's sort of like a chalet at a ski lodge right
1: yeah apparently you can take a gondola up to the top of the Matterhorn there's a restaurant and a bar up there in which you can spend your evening and as mm-hmm. we'll come to learn a a screenwriter his agent and the two assistants who work for the agent who like they're being sexually harassed at the office right those two yeah that's right it's very weird this relationship that's happening in this but they've gone up there they've been driving back from somewhere else and they're like hey we've never been to the top of the Matterhorn let's all go up there for dinner and then once they had dinner, they're like, "Let's all stay up here and get absolutely wasted drunk before
0: we drive home." And they're like, "Great, yeah. sounds like a great idea." <laughs> it's a different time, Luke. It's the seventies. Don't worry about it.
1: They're closing out the bar when a UFO, completely different than the cigar one. This one is literally equipped with skis, so it's designed for landing on a mountain.
0: Yeah, it almost looks like um, a like a um, like a water plane. What do you call those? Like it has those. Yeah, a yeah it has plane. Those, Yeah, exactly. That's what it sort of looks like. It was weird. I'm like, we're seeing two different UFOs in one episode? Yeah, yeah. Mind blown.
1: And it lands on top of the bar, starts melting all the snow off the roof. Windows are breaking. Things are going crazy. The screenwriter, the agent, and the women, they run. They get on the gondola. The UFO, like, menaces them all the way down on the gondola. It's a a terrible night for them. All of which, of course, this is going to bring Project Blue Book to Los Angeles
0: again. Yeah. Well, that's that's the main place. Also, probably where they're filming, so it's just easier.
1: Yeah, you gotta go to L.A. was where we shooting. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time they fly to L.A. They just climb into a combat jet and just like fly across the country. You can just you can just do that in the airport?
0: I guess so. Yeah. Well, they had the footage. They have they had the, they had the B-roll. So that's what hats how they're gonna travel. It's a lot of like dialogue over top of them flying.
1: And their first stop's gonna be the woman with the dogs who has, saw the cigar. Um. Her story was apparently published in the newspaper a few weeks ago, and um, so they're going to go talk to her. And when they arrive, she offers them fresh-made cinnamon buns, and they say no. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe these people.
0: You would you wouldn't say, you would say uh, yes, please, two for me. If someone came in and was like, I just baked cinnamon
1: buns, you want one? I'd be like, absolutely.
0: Yeah, see, I'd say no because it's a weird, uh, I always say no even when I want something.
1: You just are always depriving yourself.
0: Yeah, I'm just like, uh, no, thank you. I, I I don't like cinnamon. Then I'd be like, ugh, I wish I had that cinnamon bun.
1: You're like, the, when your army sergeant comes to you and says, you want to go get lunch, you're like, it's too early for lunch. And then you go <laughs> have lunch with
0: teens. That's exactly right. Oh, I wish. I wish I was having lunch with teens. You tell me about hacky sacks and skateboards. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're like, you guys. You kids still do devil sticks these days?
0: Yeah, you guys do devil sticks? Uh, Yeah, what else? I don't know, spinning plates, whatever they're into.
1: Anyway, this, this older woman, she
0: tells them that... Uh,
1: Two weeks after she saw the UFO and their story was published in the paper, some aliens from Venus came to her house by the name of Venus Gist yeah, and yeah.
0: Malin. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I like that they're basically like she tells the story of like uh you know all this stuff happens that the cigar thing came and boiled the water and then they come and they're and she's like well don't worry like they're coming back like they just like they they made their introduction they're coming back and they're like I guess we'll just wait for these guys these venetians and she's well, like, Yeah,
1: cool there's an explanation here did you notice who played one of the venetians though no who was it it was uh, angus grim who uh probably most famous for playing the thin man in the uh uh, fat, uh phantasm th- series
0: oh i didn't recognize him
1: i did immediately i was like who's this weird old man i'm like ah yeah
0: hmm
1: <laughs> anyway in her flashback, these two men showed up at her house. They're very much dressed like the Men in Black, but they talk in a robotic manner. That's how you know. But they're they aliens.
0: also have their yeah. They're dressed like the Men in Black, but then they also have like a gold medallion hanging over their neck, both of them.
1: Well, it's just the seventies.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's supposed to be like sort of like a little bit odd and like yeah and different. So you're like, oh, there. That's not how you don't really wear a medallion. But maybe I'm wrong.
1: The Venetians say they saw her that night from the cigar, and they tried to communicate with her. Now they're back because. They want to offer her the chance to come live on Venus because that is where her husband who's been missing for years is and she can be reunited with him.
0: Yeah, this was sort of sad, right? Like, they sort of imply that—are they saying her husband died and she's getting a chance to see him again? Or is it that he just, like, left one day?
1: Well, later she'll explain to Project Blue Book that uh, many years ago, her husband went out to get cigars and never came home.
0: Right, right yes that's very sad it's sad that if these people are um uh taking advantage of this poor woman for her money and they're also um uh using her a horrible uh horrible trauma in the history in her own history to against her but i mean i guess that's what happens when you're a scammer
1: well and these venetians say in order to get her to venus they're gonna need forty thousand dollars for expenses it's very expensive to get you to venus well
0: well it's not even that they're basically like we need a bunch of money and she's like well i have forty thousand dollars sitting in my account and they're like great that's exactly that will work that's enough yeah, yeah they,
1: they say there's expenses and she's like i have forty thousand I'm like that'll cover it and as yeah. you mentioned earlier they also say if there's atmos. any money left over she can exchange them into atmos at the interplanetary exchange and did you
0: see what the exchange is for him
1: so funny she's like she tells project blue book she's like the atmos is worth so much more than the u.s dollar and then she tells them the exchange right
0: it's 100 to one
1: yeah it's 100 atmos to one u.s dollar it seems like the atmos is pretty bad <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I thought. Is the exact same thing. So I was like, no, no, this is a bad. Don't don't convert to Atmos. You're gonna lose a lot of money.
1: Maybe Atmos is different. Then maybe it's like in Korea, and a thousand Atmos is like worth oh, one dollar. Maybe.
0: maybe we don't really get we don't get into the too much into the currencies of Atmos. <laughs>
1: at any rate she's
0: very excited to be reunited with her husband she's already emptied her
1: bank accounts getting ready for it and it just so happens the venetians are scheduled to come back tomorrow to pick up the money so obviously project blue books like hey what if we came back tomorrow and met these aliens and of course the woman's like well the alien said not to tell anybody and not to invite anyone over but since you're from the air force you probably would love to see their space machine so sure why not come over tomorrow
0: yeah, I like that. And they're like, yes, yes, space machine.
1: <laughs> we'll be we'll be back tomorrow.
0: Yeah. They're like uh, more cinnamon buns, please.
1: Anyway, we cut to the next day. The Venetians come by to pick up the cash, sunglasses on, talking like robots. The boys from. Yeah, do we Blue- talk
0: about how robotic they spoke? They do like the thing. Like if you're a kid being an alien, like we are from Venus. We need your at most dollars. Like that's how they talk.
1: Yeah, that's how Venetians
0: speak. <laughs> it's, it's hard learning English this woman she's
1: so funny she's such an honorable narrator i believe when we first meet her and she starts telling the story she's just like she tells the project blue book guy she's like she's like they were from venus and they're like how do you know she's like i i don't i just had a feeling in my heart that they were from venus and they cut to the flashback and the two guys are like we are from venus i'm like well no they told her (laughs) anyway none of that matters they show up to get their forty thousand dollars project blue book steps out and kind
0: of ambushes them and like it's like those, uh, remember that old show where the guys were always meeting the young girl for sex? What was that show called?
1: What are you talking about?
0: You know that show, the, like it was a, like that guy would always come out. It's like, it'd be like some, like a uh, pervert pedophile would be like meeting a young girl. And then, and then the young girl's not there. And instead that guy's there to catch a predator. Is that what it's called? <laughs> it was like that. But with, with Venetians. I thought you were talking about an old show like Dragnet. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm telling you the, the show, they'd be like. How old did you think uh, Cindy was? He's like, 16. Well, she told you she was 13. It's like that. But it's like, they said they were Venetians. Anyways. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) It's exactly the same.
1: Yes. What you're saying is they pop out to ambush them. Yeah. What I was was really impressed by is these two guys (sighs) never break character. Right. They never stop talking like robots. They never try to run away. They just like keep going. So, so that's my point. But this is
0: the last scene with them, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, Project Blue Book asks them how they got there, and they say a uh, ramjet. And then they ex- Project Blue Book explains how that doesn't work, how a ramjet doesn't work
0: that way. Yeah, and so they this sort of scene sort of ends with the two of them like looking at each other guiltily. But I'm like, but then that's it. And I was like, so well, wh-? that's not true because Gatlin called his old buddy, who now works for LAPD's Bunko Squad, and he's there to arrest them. Yeah, they get arrested, but like, they don't really explain how this all happened like i guess you you could put the pieces together as a viewer be like they read a newspaper report and tried to take advantage of this woman but they never really explained that you get it i don't know it seems like it's just like it seemed like such a weird thing to end because you're right because they never break character so you're it's not like they're like oh shucks you caught us they're just like no we are aliens i'm like what and then that was <laughs> it you never see them again
1: well you get that monologue by the old lady at the end do you yeah, where she says, she gives a big speech about how she may be gullible, but she's not stupid. And I'm like, no, you're stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I still think they're aliens.
1: They, they never broke character, Jordan. They're going to take that all the to court.
0: Yeah they keep talking about Atmos and the currency exchange. It was great. I really like this this sequence. It was very fun. It just it's it's so odd because it just felt like this was the whole episode, but it's just a small little part part to like waste time. Like, doesn't this feel like this was a longer thing where there's like the episode is about this woman getting scammed and they go through systematically to prove that these guys aren't aliens. At the very end, they find the they find the guys and they are able to prove that it's it is a scam, but that's not what this is. It's just like a fun little, isn't it hilarious? These guys are pretending to be Phoenicians. Anyways, back to the episode. This is None of this matters to uh, the rest of the plot or the other UFO.
1: Yeah, yeah, just call your buddy at the Bunko Squad, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to Bunko Squads anyway?
0: I don't know. They went away
1: by about 1983. <laughs> Where's all the Bunko these days? <laughs> yeah, Bunkos. That's great. All right, Jordan. Well, we'll get to the second half of this episode, which is where the Project Blue Book boys, they uh, are giving a speech at a space symposium or something. They're still, like at, in front of a big crowd of people. Yeah. And had the funniest moment of the entire episode to me. In an episode that has already been pretty funny with these Venetians, mm-hmm. in that we get this wide shot. Major Gatlin is talking in front of this group of people. And he says, he looks out there and he says, you, sir, uh, what's your question, young man? And then we cut, and an old, old man in a beard stands up and asks a question. And I was just like, what was happening? Here? I don't remember that. He's just like, it's a wide shot, and he's just like, what's your question, young man? And then we cut to a close-up of the man asking the question. It's just like a 45-year-old man with the biggest beard I've ever seen. Yeah, it, the, the lights are dim. He, he couldn't tell. At any rate, this is the agent. Uh, he and the screenwriter right, come yeah. to tell them about the UFO encounter they had and um, they're gonna they're basically invited to drop by his house the next day and they're gonna get the two women they're sexually harassing at the office to come out and tell the story too and they all kind of meet up and sort of tell the story of the uh, time they were at the bar on the Matterhorn and this weird alien came
0: Mm-hmm. yeah
1: and you know of course these guys are like, well, you know, we take these stuff seriously. We're going to look into it. We're going to go up to the Matterhorn, to try to talk to that bartender, to see if we can get any more evidence, that kind of thing. And for some reason that makes no sense to me, These screenwriters are like, okay, well, I'll come with you up the Matterhorn, which is a bad idea mostly because he's a terrible actor and we'd have to watch him like stumble through another scene.
0: It, it is funny. Um, uh, I've noticed in a few of these episodes uh, uh, up to the point where we are now, a few of the actors, it's just like, have these people ever acted before? Like, is this just like a friend of someone? Cause there's some brutal actors in it. I remember there was, I can't even remember. I think it was someone's wife in one of the other episodes were like, I was like, Oh, she's terrible. And yeah, he's, he's also not a good performer.
1: I thought for sure. There's like, Go, I get out of this scene as fast as we can with him. He's, he's not holding it together. And they're like, let's come, come with us to the next scene too. I'm like, what, why?
0: He's like someone's brother or something.
1: Anyway, the bartender reluctantly confirms the UFO encounter. He doesn't like it. He'll never admit to it again. But he yeah, he's really
0: cagey, it. right? He,
1: he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. He can't lose this job, Jordan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's sweet benefits at the Matterhorn. Um,
1: they look around. There's no real good evidence there, like some, like, scratched on the ground and, like, some melted snow, but nothing very conclusive. But they find out there was another witness, the gondola operator. Um, but after that night, he never came back to work. And uh, they travel out to to his house in LA and the landlord's just like, well, as soon as he came back from that night, he got on his bike and he took off and he moved out to Santa Barbara and man, oh man, he fell off the wagon hard that night.
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: And of course, you know, Major Gatlin and uh, old Harry Fitz are like, well, let's head out to Santa Barbara and we get a scene of them traveling down the highway on their way to Santa Barbara. And as they're driving, the most insane thing happens. Gatlin opens the newspaper sees an article in the paper that says the agent and the stream have told the press about their alien encounter. And Gatlin's yeah. like, stop this car. We're going back to L.A. And Fritz is like, but we're almost in Santa Barbara. He's like, no, <laughs> back to L.A.
0: Yeah. And uh, just as a side thing, I do like, like, because they're going to uh, approach these guys and find out. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we are writing a script. I was just like, how fast did this happen? That they are like, they say they have a story and someone's like, Deal. Deal, you're making a movie i'm like i get it's in the in the world of this this episode i was like i don't think it's gonna be this fast guys
1: dude it's so fast that they're the story in the paper is that screenwriter agents saw alien they turn back to la drive to the agent's office he's not there so they pick up a copy of the variety of that day That's right and inside variety is a someone's highlighted an article in it that says they've already sold the screenplay to a studio at which point they're like go to the assistants and they're like tell us where they are right now they find them at like a studio they're just like having lunch and the screenwriter the agent are just like they they're just like so like innocent they're like what do you mean why are you Yeah, they're so blase about it yeah they're like like well you said in variety that we confirmed your sighting they're like well you basically did you didn't say it wasn't true
0: yeah that's the funny that's what they're 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 angry because they don't want Project Blue Book to be uh, uh, like diminished in any way because uh, because this could be a hoax. But and then you know the whole thing is like, did they just say this? Are they just making this up for a story so they can get a movie made? Is is what Project Blue Book starts thinking? Yeah, exactly. That,
1: yeah. And the agent screenwriter are just like, hmm, we don't know. We thought you yeah. said
0: it was real. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Anyway, so Gatlin and Fitz get back in their car, drive back to Santa Barbara.
0: <laughs> There's no other way you could do it, Luke.
1: And I will say, they meet this uh, gondola operator who is giving this role his all. Like It's actually like a sad scene. This man has one scene, and he's like way better than the screenwriter. It's like this scene of a man who's fallen off the wagon after trying to get like sober for years and just like had this horrible encounter and it's freaked him out so badly and he can't get like he he can't stay sober again now it's a very Mm -hmm. sad scene
0: but doesn't really go anywhere (laughs) no it's just basically like the the trauma he has experienced by seeing this ufo that's basically what it is and he and he does he does essentially confirm their story though is right it's like they're in uh the ship kind of lands on top of the uh uh, what's called the matterhorn
1: Yes, on the bar on the Matterhorn.
0: Yeah, and then basically everyone gets into the uh, the cable car thing, and they're sort of like, nothing really happens other than like, I think the power goes out at one point, and they're like shook around a little bit, but he actually sees, you know, he sees the ship there and everything, and that's what was so um, uh, traumatizing to him.
1: Yeah, but it's no new information with the sole exception of right at the end of his story, he mentions an indigenous reservation at the bottom of the mountainside. And for no apparent reason, Project Blue Book then just drives to this reservation, talks to a guy there who's just like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Our ancient relative said that uh, there were lights up there a thousand years ago or something. Well, okay. I'm like, what is this scene?
0: Well, basically, yeah, this this guy who was the conductor or whatever you called him, um, uh, he basically said there's a uh, reservation at the bottom of the hill and they would they will also confirm what i've seen they would have had to because it, it was right right where they were so that's why they go down but then it's just like yeah they're like like yeah i don't know maybe we saw something but man eh. you know ancient ancient wisdom says i'm like what the yeah. fuck is this
1: <laughs> yeah not great anyway the episode ends with project blue book Going back to see the agent and the screenwriter one last time for some reason. Basically, they're there to tell them all the evidence, per usual, is inconclusive. And they'll be filing this one as another true
0: unknown. And then the writer is just like, I don't even want to make this movie. And his agent's like, what What do you mean you're not making the movie? Like, we're, we're so far into production for <laughs> some reason. And then he's he's like, you know how fast this movie industry works? As soon as we set our story, we're into production. And then he's like, no, if I they, you're already changing my script and adding stuff. And if I can't tell the story as it is forget it and i was like wow i this asian should drop this guy he's, i mean the uh, studio
1: wants to add bikini aliens to it and he's not into it. you say yes
0: absolutely let's get this thing made
1: well the screenwriter says if he ever gets to make it his way he'll uh, get technical advisor roles for gatlin and fit so it all ends well
0: do you think that was added by that retired uh uh sergeant whoever it is who's the consultant on the show he's like add that in
1: yeah remember when you gave me a technical advisor role put that in it <laughs>
0: That's yeah. the technical advising he gave Jordan, Hollywood technical advice. That's right. And so they basically, they go through at the end and we're like, oh, the reason the, there was melted snow was because of this, and the reason the window broke was because of this. But at the end, they're all just like, it's all circumstantial.
1: Another true unknown, Jordan.
0: Another true unknown. And you're like, there you go. Episode done.
1: <laughs> all right. Do you have any final notes on these episodes?
0: No, but I, I do feel like, um because we're now eight episodes into the into the show i feel like it's it's hit its groove for better or worse like i think the show is what it is would, would you agree with me
1: yeah i mean i think you know we watched one we watched six then we watched seven and now eight and i feel like it's definitely in its groove i, I think to its detriment i think the second episode we watched of the show where there was the um husband and wife and her father like Oh, mm-hmm. and the father-in-law kind of manipulating their lives had more of a story whereas these two felt more like the pilot where they just kind of like look at evidence debunk evidence and there's real yeah.
0: no, no real characters involved yeah that, w- that uh, it's interesting you say that because that episode uh i don't know which one that was two or six something that was my favorite episode of the show so far it actually felt like we met characters they had like real lives and real stories and there was a point to it a lot of these are just like Everyone are just chess pieces, but, like, not even particularly interesting chess pieces.
1: Just teens, people who
0: hate teens, and a couple of rummies. Yeah, they're all just, like, two-dimensional characters. Like, hobos, uh, rummies, teens, the evil Dean. It's just like, okay, sure. Well, Jordan, what do you want to rate, citing 407, the Forest City incident? Okay, because uh, the show is, uh, I feel like, not pulling its weight as much as I am as a viewer. I'm only going to give it a 5.5. It's starting to drop. Fair enough.
1: I mean, it's not a great episode. It's it's pretty bare bones, and the entire premise is
0: teens. Aren't they liars? You know what? That's a good point you make. Bare bones is a very good way to describe this. It almost feels like there's not enough content and information and evidence to carry a full episode. And they somehow do it. Like, there's a lot of conversations, but it, it, you're right. It's, it's so bare bones. You're like, you could go, uh, they the kids see a UFO anything happen nope end of episode you're like uh, okay
1: yep that's all unknown that's it. <laughs> unsolved mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i think i'm still had like an okay time i think you pointed it earlier the ufos uniformly are great episode to episode yeah, but, those are always nice yeah. i had a couple of laughs i really like the guy's monologue about why he took the fake photos that ended in i love kids that made me laugh really hard um I, I get, but i'm only gonna give this one i think i'm gonna give it a three. Ooh, pretty low and then, of course, there's Sighting uh, 408, 4008, rather, the Desert Spring incident.
0: Oh, for whatever reason, I like this one a little bit better. I like the Venetian guys. Um, I thought, uh, for whatever reason, I just thought it was a little bit more interesting episode. Uh, I'll give it a, um, a 6.
1: I agree. I think this is better. I think if this show's just going to be bare bones like this, at least what it did is told two separate stories. One was mm-hmm. just a comedy, weird comedy about Venetians trying to bunko this woman. <laughs> Who knows why?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, there was no time. There was no possible time to explain any of that. They're just like, that was just uh, 15 minutes of your time, guys.
1: I kept waiting for it to be revealed the husband put them up to it, but they never broke character because they're that good at nope. their job.
0: <laughs> they're that good scam artists.
1: And then... The UFO incident on the top of the mountain was really good. Like, it was a great miniature work. Very cool as it happened. Agreed, yeah. There's a lot to like about that sequence. And I think the strength of it was, if these shows are going to be so bare-boned, at least do, like, two just bare-boned stories back-to-back. So at least I was just, like,
0: watching two half-hours or something. But wouldn't it be nice if um, you—and I mean, this would get old, too. But don't you think it'd be nice if there was two plot lines that connected in some way of two possible um, sightings that maybe— are the same sighting from two different viewpoints and they have to kind of figure out if they're connected or not if it's the same sighting or not and then maybe you find one is real and one's not or something to that effect as opposed to just like two random things because that was I like yes but that's the do one there's like yeah the guy I guess with the photos true. like and that wasn't very much fun yeah you're right you're right i mean the
1: pilot was like that too There was like four people who saw the same ufo and that wasn't any better I don't know why I'm trying to fix this show. It is what it is. I'm gonna give this one a five, though. I I did enjoy it a lot more. Yeah, (laughs) a lot more. Five out of ten. Five out of ten. It was it was a fine diversion for a few minutes. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so not great. Not a great
0: outing. I don't think the show is getting better. But should I? Is it? Is it fair to say? I think we are going on season two now, right?
1: yeah yeah we've we finished our three of season one so we're gonna go into season two so we'll see if it's it changes over the course of like that like year break between season one and
0: season two mm-hmm. as as we all they sit down it's the summer break they finished a season like ah success we really nailed it and they're like we'll just let's fine tune it fine tune it for season two don't i'm gonna assume they're not gonna change the basic formula of the show
1: if it ain't broke don't fix it jordan yeah
0: <laughs> it's a little bit broken
1: well jordan before we finish up the episode though uh, we had quite the listener response to Ghostwatch. Oh, did we? People people really enjoyed us watching Ghostwatch. I think it uh, obviously lives on in people's memories. So i have got a few people reached out to us about it. So one of them was a listener named Drew who uh, he actually recommended. Do you remember Ultraviolet? I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah he recommended that originally. He, he wrote a nice email just talking about how uh, how I think we had sort of talked about it seemed like this would have really lived on in our minds had we seen it as kids. And he he'd seen it when he was eleven years old and was just talked about how effective that like faux broadcast worked mm. with like people you knew from TV and like how scary it was. Like apparently he and his brother like still quote the show to this day. He even he even said a hilarious uh screen grab of a group chat with his friends in which someone had posted a link because this was the thirtieth anniversary of Ghostwatch. it turns out. And they had done a live uh, immersive experience of Ghost Watch. You could go and be mm. like freaked up by pipes in person, and everyone in the group chat's just like, "Fuck no, too scary, no <laughs> way."
0: Like, you know what? It's it is nice to hear that because it was um, it was a very effective. Uh, it's funny talking about that and this show. Um, they really nailed that what they were going for the format of this uh, of this magazine style show. It was really really well done.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. I, It really points out that people who saw it, it it freaked them out good. To this day, they're still freaked out. We even had a couple guests, former guests, write in. uh, Phil Nichols, our Bradbury scholar, who we did uh, Mm. Martian Chronicles with, he, he, he wrote in and he was saying, like, just confirming what we were talking about just like those news personalities were so well known like from a variety right. of angles like one like was on top of the pops one had a kid show obviously this star michael uh, parkinson was a big news guy so like it was very effective people were tuning in and were like 100 percent were like well we know these people as news people so apparently it was like th- they really hit the public pretty hard that way and then of course uh, our guest joe from um, freaky links and uh, earth two mm-hmm. <laughs> She sent me a, she sent a message on one of our uh, Instagram posts where she's just like, I watched this movie a couple years ago, and she said, as I was watching it, it unlocked some traumatic memories for me that apparently she watched it with her grandmother when she was six years old, and she didn't remember it until she started watching it again.
0: Oh, that's funny. I think as six, I'd have been too young for it. It would have freaked me out.
1: Yeah, it was buried deep in her mind, so when she watched it again two years ago, it all came flooding back. It's true. She totally forgotten.
0: Funny. Well, I'm glad we could have done that for her
1: yeah so i enjoyed reading all the ghost watch stuff because it clearly was traumatic for a lot of people
0: yeah i don't think we're going to get a lot of uh, too much uh, uh, people writing about their trauma from project ufo though
1: no I, I don't think so well as we get to the close here we just want to remind everybody this year we're doing bonus episodes for charity so um you know if you want to see ranchers get attacked by aliens in a uh, howard crossing incident that's a episode of this show we've already skipped past okay. you can uh, donate you know, $50 is what we're suggesting, but give to what your means are. You can go to our website. We, uh, I don't know, it's continuedrag.podbean.com, or just go to our social media. There'll be links there. We've got a list of charities suggested by former guests. You give you give a little donation to one of these charities. Tell us which episode of a show we've skipped past you want us to watch. And uh, we'll do a little bonus episode for you. You can find all that
0: on, uh, on the website. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a bonus episode about Project UFO. It could be anything we've seen.
1: But it could be Project UFO. <laughs>
0: It could be. I am I'm, I'm I would request it's not Project UFO. <laughs> <laughs> what about that super train, a
1: very formal heist?
0: Yeah, I'd like to watch that. I want to see Jamie Farr in a in a heist episode on a on a super train. That sounds better.
1: <laughs> and then of course you can email us at continuedrag at gmail.com if you have any comments on anything we're doing. We'd
0: love to hear from you guys. And yeah. girls. And and, and, Gals? and What's the right yeah, nomenclature? We, we like hearing about it, and then Luke will tell me after. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jordan will
1: get a message later. So he'll find out about it somehow. <laughs> yeah, I'm busy. And, of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we will have clips from Project UFO,
0: lots of good UFO work, mm-hmm. mostly UFO work. <laughs> well, well, and we've said that, but, again, if there's one real strength to the show, it's the art team because they're they're nailing it on the UFOs. They look great
1: hundred percent it's almost a shame we're watching these like low-res versions of it. agreed yeah and if, and you can find us at continued Drag on instagram twitter and jordan because instagram forced me to move over to a new platform to schedule our posts
0: we have a facebook page now too so you can find us on facebook apparently hey look at that we're everywhere yeah and facebook does anyone have facebook is isn't it just like 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 mom sharing like like right wing like like minion memes <laughs> yeah
1: yeah your mom won't stop posting them on our site <laughs>
0: i haven't been on facebook in a while but yes we we have a, we're on facebook
1: <laughs> but that about wraps it up so listener thank you for joining us in jordan i'll see you next week i'll see you then continuum drag is recorded in toronto ontario and seoul south korea theme music by james rick seedler produced by jordan Dalek and luke black special thanks to aaron Yunes.